All right, well, today I'm going to share with you from Revelation chapter 21 and 22. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there with me, uh, we have been, if you're new with us, we've been going through the Bible in one year together. So I've managed to get to this point in the year. I have preached out of 65 books at one point or another, and next week I'll preach out about my 66th. So Revelation is where we've been for the past couple weeks, and we'll finish up looking at a couple passages there today, as well as tonight we'll read all the Christmas narratives from the Gospels. Uh, so if you come tonight, you'll get to hear all those, as well as uh, we'll, we'll read again what we read at the beginning about from Matthew 1, the account of Joseph and the story of the angel. But I've been trying to convince you all that Revelation is a Christmas book, and I really believe that. Uh, Revelation is all about the advent, the coming of Jesus, of course, the, the main picture of Revelation is the coming of Jesus and judgment on Babylon, as we talked about last week. Babylon being the image of the powers of this world that resist God and God's anointed, and how our faithfulness to, uh, to Jesus gives us the victory in the middle of those times. And we talked about that last week, and I even sang a little song for us last week. I went back and listened to that on the podcast and deeply regretted it. But, um, but if, you, if you would like to go back and you'd like to listen to uh, the sermons that I preached this year on books of the Bible, if you have a book of the Bible, you're like, oh, I'd like to hear a sermon on that. Don't know that I've ever heard someone preach on Malachi. You can go back in our church podcasts and you can listen to any of those you like. But today, uh, as I think about Revelation, I think about the fact that we're here today on a day that is kind of before something exciting. Christmas Eve is all about anticipation. And I know, you know, a lot of us are a little older now, so you maybe have to think back a little bit to what it was like to be a child and be excited about Christmas Eve. And, and hopefully you can see that in the children around you. Maybe, you know, if you don't have kids at home, but you see them around in the world, and you see them on commercials, you see them on TV, and you can think about that anticipation, that season of expectation, which is very much a attitude, an atmosphere that pervades the book of Revelation. Anticipation, expectation of Jesus showing up and revealing his light and his love. So as usual, though, we live in a world that makes it hard to keep that in mind. A world that tries to cloud the light of Jesus coming. And, and we know that's been the case, I think, in this past year, especially of these past few months, as we've seen a war erupt in the Middle East as we've been dealing with a war in Ukraine for a long time, and as I think kind of dark clouds shadow us as we head into another season of presidential election, which is always, you know, there's always, it's never a fun experience as an American citizen to go through that. There's, uh, you know, even this past week as I dealt with COVID, it reminded me of the onset of the pandemic and the unexpected illnesses that disrupt all your plans. Into that reality, is where Jesus showed up the first time in Bethlehem in the middle of political upheaval as, as everyone's being asked to go and register for tax purposes, as the emperors in Rome are doing their thing and the, the king in Jerusalem, Herod, is doing his thing and trying to destroy Jesus and all the babies in Bethlehem. In the middle of that, Jesus is born. In the same way in Revelation Revelation tells us as we come into chapter 21 that what's just happened is the devil's done his absolute worst and brought all the kings in the world against God and his anointed and God has triumphed. So we know in the middle of conflict and upheaval and things not being the way they're supposed to be in darkness, Jesus the light shines forth. And it reminds me of this idea of, of eucatastrophe, which is a term that 
Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, came up with. And I enjoy this term because it's this idea of something really, really good happening at just the right moment when you needed it most. It's this idea of, you've ever heard somebody say that it's always darkest right before the dawn? It's that idea that when everything was headed one direction, something cataclysmic and unexpected happens to bring about unexpected and you could never bring it about in your own miraculous joy, which is, of course, the story of Christmas. And it's also the story of what we're looking forward to in Jesus coming again, that everything at the end turns because Jesus meets us at the bottom of the drain. He meets us in the darkest places to shine his light and show us his love. And that's what we're living our lives for. We're living our lives in constant anticipation of the eucatastrophe of Jesus coming and revealing his light and his love to the world. So I'm going to read to us from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4 to start off here. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his God, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So when I read this passage, I think about the fact that I've read this passage at every funeral I've ever officiated, whether it's a funeral at a graveside or a funeral at a funeral home or at a church. I always read this passage because this passage is the hope of all mankind. This is the hope of all believers, that someday the world that we've been given here uh, will turn out to be an image and a shadow of a greater world that is to come. That the God we, we heard about at the very beginning of the series, when we looked at Genesis chapter 1 together, when we looked at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, that God who created the world for a relationship with human beings, that he set aside us out of all creatures in this world and said, I want to create creatures that will show the universe who I am and what I'm like. And immediately those creatures went out and said, eh, not so sure we want that. We want to do our own thing. I want to make our, you in our own image. And then immediately God begins the process of pursuing those creatures, of, of calling them back into love with him. I mean, that is the whole story of Scripture that we've seen from the very beginning, that as soon as God finds Adam and Eve, as soon as he sees that they have turned their back on him and disobeyed the one rule that he gave them, broke the law of love that he wanted to establish in their lives, he says, well, let me tell you about how we're going to bring this back to where it's supposed to be. Someday, the woman is going to have a son, and that son is going to uh, crush the serpent's head. Everything that was created in you to rebel against me, I'm going to break by becoming one of you and changing everything. This idea of God participating in humanity because of his love so that human beings can participate in God fully. That's, a, that's what Jesus and the, the idea of, of Christmas is all about. And that is the image that we see here in Revelation chapter 21, where God says, everything that I've given you is going to be made new. And of course, it's beautiful, this idea of uh, Scripture beginning with Adam and Eve and saying, hey, uh, Adam says, wow, Adam and Eve, Eve, this is amazing that God has given me Eve and I've got this relationship that I can begin with her. 
And at the end here, God again ends with a wedding and says, all of you were created for an intimate relationship with me. And that's what this has all been about and a picture of. It's this wedding that's going to come. And then there's this beautiful image of God wiping every tear away. Now, I don't know that I ever really thought about wiping tears away, but I, as I have small children, you have that chance, right? Your, your children, whether they're upset because they got in trouble or upset because you gave them blueberry oatmeal instead of banana oatmeal, uh, the tears can flow and you have to, you know, wipe away the tears and say, it's going to be okay. Life, life is going to be what it's supposed to be and just trust me and go along with me. And, and one thing that my kids have been doing lately that I think is really funny is that when we, when we start a movie, they will, say, uh, they will say, hey, go back to the first ending. That's how they describe the beginning, is the first ending. And I don't know why they do that, but it made me think about this passage. This idea that in the beginning, there's an end that starts over. That, that everything in my life is meant to pull me to a, a place where I'm with God in a way that he surrounds me. That, I'm, that, that all the relationships of my life make sense, all the events and actions that I've done that are good and that are not so good, mistakes that I've made, terrible errors that I've decided to do throughout my life, as well as places that I've been completely obedient to him. He's turning it all around. He's making it all new. And before me, for the rest of my existence, is him, is him in his direction, is his light and his love guiding the rest of my existence. And God says, that's what's to come. And it's that first image of that that we see when we go to the manger scene. Then in the middle of our darkness, in the middle of just the squalor of life, God is born crying out and saying that I'm starting everything over again. So that's what we see here in Revelation. That's what we see in Christmas. Let me continue reading in Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 27. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because, 22 through 27, sorry, I should repeat that. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, th there are a lot of great little insights we can get if we look at the city that is described in Revelation chapter 21. It's a city four square, so think of the biggest city that you can imagine, it's actually bigger than our planet, and then it's cubed. And then think of that Revelation is describing, this is just the city that exists in the new heavens and the new earth. It's not meant to be the whole new heavens and all earth. This is just the city where everybody is, is centered their activity. So there's room in this new heavens and new earth for any creature who's ever existed to be there in this place that God has planned for us. So that's all there. And this passage, he tells us there's not a church in this new place. There's no need for a church because Jesus himself is present in every moment. He's here with us. We see him. We know him. We interact with him. Uh, he is right before us. There's no longer any wondering and doubt. There's no longer any trying to figure things out the best that we can. He's here. He's, he's, he's eminently present with every single person. So there's no need for a church anymore. There's no need for gates. I always have to laugh. I, every now and then I see this meme that says that... Um, 
that uh, hell doesn't have any walls, but heaven does. Well, this passage says the gates are always open, so I don't really know what that means. The gates of heaven are always open. Anyone can enter into heaven. All you need to do is to say that you're going to come under the lordship of this lamb who's offered his life for you, who has invited you into a relationship with himself. Are you going to worship him as Lord? Is he going to be the uh, ruler of your life, the king of your existence? That's the way that you enter into this heavenly city whose gates are always open. Uh, there's nothing impure in there. Nothing that isn't the way it's supposed to be is going to enter into this place that God has called us to be. I, I try to think about this. I try to think about this passage all the time because I just believe in this concept that everything in our life, if we really understand it and we really spent the time to see what's going on, we would see that all that is good, all that is light, all that is love, and all that is joy is an image and a call to the life that we are meant to have forever with God. I, sometimes it's overwhelming to do what I do. And I don't say that to say like, wow, you're super impressive that you talk in front of people for a living and that kind of thing, you know, and that you help people understand more about Jesus. That's awesome that that's my job and I'm very excited about that. Uh, and I'm very grateful for that. But the thing that's overwhelming to me is that every moment that I interact with you and every moment that you and I are talking about who God is is an eternal moment. You are meant to last forever. This is not, this is not just a temporary thing that we're doing coming here today. Thank you for coming here today. Thank you for being a part of celebrating Christmas with us. But this is a moment of what is meant to last forever and through all time. It's going to outlast the stars that you see in the sky. It's going to last as far as the strongest telescope could ever look. There is a reality that everything you see before you is going to exist and come into being through the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you, and it lasts forever. And that's why every moment of your life is important. That's why every decision that you make is important. That's why God shows up in a manger, in a stable, among people who never could have thought it could happen here, that God would show up there crying out for a mother's love, just like any other baby who's ever existed. That's why he shows up there to say, every moment of your life has meaning. I haven't lost track of who you are and why you're here. You are not forgotten. I am present, and I want to give you life you never thought was possible. There is love and joy here that you never could have imagined in my embrace and in my love. That's what this passage is talking about. And when there's, there's no more night, there's no more darkness, it's because of the presence of the Lamb who brings everything into our life into focus and makes it all make sense. Um, when I hear it say, hey, all the glory and the honor of the nations are here in the city, I think of the wise men. The wise men are that represented that all nations have come and brought their wealth before the throne of this baby. And Revelation is saying that is an image of what's to happen for all time. Anything of good and value that's existed in this world is going to be brought and laid before this lamb who is the reason that we exist. All right, let me read for us from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. 
No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. I want to talk to you about an interesting thing that John, the writer of Revelation, does in this passage. So he gives us this image that should remind us of the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis. God has this beautiful garden. He has a tree of life from which everyone can eat. Adam and Eve begin eating. That gives them eternal life. He has this tree of life for them. Uh, he has a rivers that are flowing throughout the garden. All of this is coming back for us. Again, God is inviting us into his garden, into his place. The intimacy of his presence is here and it's overflowing everything that exists. But John does an interesting thing in this passage that is very hard to get across in English, but you can find if you, if you look at the Greek, is that when John picks the word for the tree of life, he doesn't actually pick the word that you would pick to describe a tree that bears fruit. If you were trying to describe a tree that bears fruit in this passage, uh, you would use the uh, Greek word dendron, which is that tree that gives fruit. It's a live tree that's, that you can go to and you can receive these kind of fruits that John's talking about. Instead, John uses a word for tree here that is most often translated as a plank of wood. And most times in the Bible, if you were to go and search this word, you would find it when you see a passage that talks about Jesus hanging on a tree, about the cross that Jesus bore. Now, there's a different word used when we talk about the cross, the cross of crucifixion. But if a writer in scripture wants to talk about the symbolism of Jesus being hung on a tree, of Jesus being fastened to a, a plank of wood, to this tree that's been killed for the purposes of putting Jesus to death, they use this word. And I would like to, I would like to think that there's, that's the reason that John chooses this word. That John is saying, yes, we know God designed the tree of life to bear fruit, just like any tree that we can see that, uh, that bears good fruit, any tree that we're going out and picking apples in the summer, that kind of tree. We know that's what God designed, and we know what human beings did. They chopped those trees down. That's what human beings are good at. Give them a tree, they'll chop it down, they'll make something that doesn't produce fruit out of it, and, and God comes into our reality and lives that way and dies on the cross that we made to put him to death, and from that cross... He gives us life. And John is saying, that's the kind of tree of life you're going to find in the new garden, the new heaven, the new earth. God is going to take the worst that the world can do, the most that human beings could do to try to mess up his plan, and he's going to use it to give us life. That's the story of Christmas. That's the story that we celebrate today, that we're looking forward to celebrating tomorrow, is that Jesus comes into the worst that we can do, and he turns it to give us life. Something that, there are a lot of things that nobody necessarily warned me about being a parent uh, that I, I don't understand that. You know, they should sit you down in the hospital and tell you all these different things that are going to happen to you. Like, you know, your kid's going to decide to get up in the middle of the night and take their diaper off and do who knows what. Like, they don't tell you all that, right? But uh, the other thing they don't tell you is that your kid is going to start to talk to you about death pretty early on. And, and, and that's something that Elliot has done for probably about a year now, that he'll ask me questions about death and ask me questions about, you know, why does that happen and, and what's ahead? And, and I just keep going back to this kind of passage 
and I can't explain all the theology of Revelation to Eliot yet, but what I can say is that, Eliot, Jesus has given you life that's never going to end. There is a purpose and a plan to everything that happens in your life. Jesus has a place for you forever with him, and that's what's ahead. And, and, and this past week I was talking to Elliot, and he said, will my family be there? Will my family be with Jesus? And all of Revelation chapter 21 and 22 is saying, your family, your family, the, everything that you have in this life has been given to you because of the love of Jesus. And that's what's ahead. There is no night. There is no darkness. There is nothing to fear when I'm in my Father's house. That's what Jesus offers to us. And he's made it possible because of his embrace of the tree of life, the cross where he offers his life for us so that we can be brought into the Father's family. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're so grateful for the tree that gives us life. We're grateful for your word that speaks to us the truth that calls us into relationship with you. Lord, that I don't have anything to fear. There's nothing in my life that needs to, uh, to make me fear darkness, to make me fear separation, Lord. That before me, Lord, is immense victory, unbelievable joy. At the last possible second, you're always bringing life and, and love that I could have never imagined. Uh, it's only possible through you and your love that you are willing to embrace our mangers, our stables, our, uh, and then, Lord, our cross, our, our electric chair, the worst that we have to offer, the death and the suffering of this world. You embrace it at every minute because you care so much about us. You want us to be in a relationship with yourself. And I don't know if there's a person here, Lord, today who doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, maybe feels lost and alone, maybe doesn't know quite how to find out what it means to live a life out of the fullness of your Holy Spirit within them. Lord, I just ask that you would surround them today with the knowledge of your presence, of your reality here, of your love poured out to us through your word, through your life within us, through your Son. Uh, Lord, I just ask that each of us will be brought into this reality, Lord, that I would turn from the world that I can create on my own to the best that I've known and and the best that I can do, and come to this new heavens and new earth that you've created so that I can be in relationship with you, be in the family that you've created me, a part, me to be a part of, that my whole life will make sense when I can experience that kind of love. Jesus, I ask this, that would be the case in me, that you would forgive me of my sins and be my Savior and my Lord, that your kingdom would take over our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're able, please stand with us and worship.